Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leaders, it's time finally for another guest episode with Kim Curtis today. And today we are talking money. So don't tune out if you don't feel comfortable with this topic, because this is exactly the conversation you need. And if you feel comfortable, I'm sure you'll also find a lot of value in the story that Kim has to share and the knowledge that she um, has provided us. So Kim is sharing her story of going from being the girl in the school, getting the free lunches paid by government, to now running a firm that is managing $200 million in assets for their clients. And that journey has had both mind shifts that had to happen for Kim to open herself up to money to receive it and practical tips on what she has done to get to that level of success that she's having now. And she's generously sharing those learnings, those mind shifts that are necessary and the practical tips that have the power to change your life as well. We're talking a lot of about a lot of things of the law of money, the two different um, categories of laws of money. We're talking about the Maslow's permit of needs and how you can actually translate it into the money talk and what you need to focus on first and how you can do that. And we touch, of course, on the entrepreneurs and the money in the context of, of building your companies, how to define your success, uh, how to define your self-worth and so much more. So this is a conversation that went both into the practicalities and something analytical and into something more spiritual. Uh, It went into uh, mind shifts and practical tips. And after we stopped recording, we actually discussed that maybe you, genius leaders listening, want to have more practical tips. So let us know. When you have listened to this conversation, let me know in, in the messages direct messages on linkedin or in the comments under the post promoting this episode what kind of practical tips you would like and if we we see interest in that i will invite kim for another episode that will be focusing on your questions and on the practical uh, pieces of advice for how to turn your wealth into something that you are proud of and you're happy with and that is sustainable So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Kim Curtis and see you on the other side. Kim, warmest welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Anna. Happy to be here. I'm really appreciative that you're doing it in the morning, early morning for you at 8 a.m. We're already (laughs) kicking off with some PR activities there. So kudos to you for um, showing up for me and my audience. Thanks for that. So Kim, you have huge experience and extensive experience with helping people build on wealth. And it comes both to practical things and very tactic 
tips and steps on what to do early on to to have the wealth that people and the lifestyle people desire uh, later on in life. But also, it's you cover the mindset. So I want to cover both of those parts. And I actually want to open up with a question to you. What would you like to start with? What do you think is e- not maybe not easier, but the better way for people to really mind shift themselves about the financial freedom? And especially mm. if we talk about entrepreneurs, where should we start? Is it some easy well, tips? You know, maybe to- my, maybe, maybe a little bit about my background that, uh, that, that what I'm about to share is worth listening to because I am a CEO of a wealth management firm that manages 200 million in assets. However, my life in the early years were not good around money. And so I would love to share that story if that's okay, Anna. Absolutely. So when I was 14, my parents got divorced and my mom got full custody of three teenage girls and she had no employable skills. So she applied for and received uh, government-assisted lunches for her daughters. And it was a red, t- it was a red paper ticket. Like a, like a raffle ticket that most of us are uh, unaware of. And I had to hand that to the cashier. And I would go to the furthest line, look behind me to make sure none of my friends were nearby, have that ticket pulled out of my pocket, grab the plate, slide down, uh, and, and then quickly hand that to her. And the enormous amount of shame and unworthiness and not enoughness was all very present, that my mom couldn't afford lunch, that I was the poor kid, that everyone knew that I was the poor kid. So that's how I started out. But my mom had one thing that was very important to her that she taught her three daughters, and that is uh, to get your education because no one can take it away from you. Now, of course, she said that because you know she got married three months before finishing high school. Uh, my dad was drafted in the war, and so that's that story. So I went to college and then law school. And when I graduated, within six months, I defaulted on my school loans. And in today's dollars, it was about $92,000. <laughs> so, I mean, I had no business, one, having that kind of debt, two, understanding anything around money. I was very unconscious around money. And I think that's really important for listeners to hear because when you're unconscious around money, it's how you do money is how you do life. And uh, if your head is in the sand on money, trust me, there are other areas in your life that you are ignoring. And so that's kind of how I started out. I want to pause here. I, I, I want to hear the, the rest of the story, but I want to pause on this moment. Where you yeah. said how you handle money or how you deal with money is hand- how you handle your life. Why? Why do you think it's not an isolated area of life where we can have some dips while the rest is fine? Mm-hmm. Why is it so interrelated with the rest? Uh, money has no value other than the value we give it. And yet it's this invisible thread that works through every area of our life. It touches Mm -hmm. every area of our life. It touches our relationships. It touches how we show up. And so if you, another way to look at it is if you had a flashlight and in that flashlight are batteries, that first battery is money. And then you can say relationships, health goals, vision for the light to shine. But you need the money to ignite those things most important to you. It's not money that's most important. We tend to fall into that category first. I know my 22-year-old son does, but it's truly what ignites the things most important to you. The, the, etymonym, the etymology of the word wealth is well-being. And I think we forget that sometimes when we focus on what's important to us. So that's why 
that's why it's so important is because it's this invisible thread that touches every aspect of our lives. Thanks for clarifying that, Kim. All right. Uh, so what happened there? How did we you get to managing happened, 200 Anna? million? I mean, you won't believe what happened. I had, this is crazy. I had an anonymous donor pay $1,000 on my school loan debt. And the fact, remember my head was in the sand. So the fact that I opened my statement, my bill, to even notice that that occurred was in itself a miracle. And, and second, that I actually noticed that it went down, not up. Second miracle. And so when I opened that and recognized that it went down, it was, it was almost like a snap, Anna, that um, because it was anonymous, I couldn't, I couldn't say, why me? Or what do you want from me? Hmm. I had to have that question with myself. So if someone believes in me that much, who is it that they believe in? What do I believe in about me? And this gets back to your really initial question of, of, of kind of that mind shift is that what happened in that snap was, it sounds corny, but it's really true. I could cry when I even think about it today. It was um, an act of love. And that act of love, I had to put on myself. And so that self-love, that self-respect, that self-awareness is what that snap was. And from that, so basically what I had realized at that time I've been unconscious. I am now aware. I just noticed what just happened. I had a conversation with myself about who am I? Who do I want to be? And that's when I recognized for the very first time in my life that events happen that we have no control over, but we do have control over our choices or our responses. And that's what determines our outcomes. And that lesson for me in terms of choices and responses and that I'm in control of my own destiny, that I'm in control based on the choices and responses that I'm going to make. Is it, woe is me, I'm a poor kid? Uh, or is it, I'm going to own my life, I'm going to take steps to be responsible about it, and I'm going to be self-aware of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to self-love myself. I'm going to have respect for myself so that, so that well, I think that w- we need to start with respect for ourselves when it comes to mindset. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I agree. And that you uh, you just touched some strings on myself and memories about that learning of self love, mm-hmm. uh, or how someone can sh- shine light on that is possible. You don't like it doesn't have to be conditional. <laughs> you don't need to deserve it. You don't need to work <laughs> for it. You can be and be loved. And uh, for me, that was my now husband and boyfriend who who showed that for me. I'm pretty sure there were people before him in my life that, but I wasn't ready to see that. Mm-hmm. So. It's not only about that person, right? It's also about your ability to receive um, that information and uh, integrate it somehow. So for me, it was just so weird to to hear him saying, I love you on my low days when I didn't feel like I performed at my top at work. And he couldn't get it. Like, I couldn't get him. <laughs> why would he love me? And he couldn't get me. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that really showed me like, it's unconditional for him. Why is it conditional for me towards myself? Oh, I love that. So that's, that's what you're talking about, really that awareness, like starting to get that awareness. And then, mm-hmm. of course, it's a journey to get to that automatic self-love <laughs> uh, or kind of self-love as default mode. <laughs> so it's interesting how you your journey with that was, Kim, from that moment of uh, realizing that in that moment, standing with that paper, showing that your DAP numbers went down. What what happened there? What was the journey there? And well, and I think it's important for our listeners to recognize that self love and the story you shared. Actually, we don't. We tend to think that love is outside of us; that we need to get it from somebody else. 
and we search for love. And what's, what's most important to recognize is for love to find you, you have to have it within. Mm-hmm. And you were lucky to be able to catch up with that because you already had it. So, to catch up with that uh, from your boyfriend at the time. And so, I think for the listeners that it's not outside of us, it's always an inside job, it's an inside game. And that's certainly true for money. Uh, because remember, money touches every aspect. So, if we get it back to the conversation of how we started, that I like to say that money is looking for you, hmm. not the opposite. Just like we just talked about love. They're almost one and the same, which is crazy. But there's some truth to that in terms of the characteristics you need to have for money to find you. But we take it a little step further than that because that's just the start. That's just mm-hmm. the start to be in the vibrational space. Uh, and remember, I'm wearing a suit. I'm not someone over there. I, woo, woo. I, I, like, I, I am a suit in wealth management with a legal background, which is so funny that I'm having these conversations. But I think that in my 30 years doing what I do, I've come to the understanding that there is this one overriding truth. And the one overriding truth is what we just started to talk about. But I'm going to take it to the next level in terms of money is looking for you and for money to find you. Because remember, we said earlier that money has no value other than the value we give it. So we talked about our own personal values of self-love, self-worth, because your self-worth is your net worth. And that's really important to understand. So we tend to think, I need money. I need money. And yet, it's actually the opposite. Money needs you to become something to become of use to the world. Can we just pause on this, Kim? Did you all hear it, Genius Leaders, what Kim just said? It's not about getting more money. You're chasing something that needs to grow within you first. It's like that inner Velcro, as I sometimes say. You need to have that Velcro for the stuff to stick on it. If you have some just very smooth surface, it will just run down. And that's the same. What, what, just Kim, what Kim just said about money is all around and it wants to come to you. But if you don't have that inner velcro, that net worth or self-worth within, you cannot build net worth because there is nothing to stick it to. This is powerful. How did you get to that, Kim? <laughs> years, years. So if money is looking for you, what ideas do you have for it? Ideas mm-hmm. are unlimited. Money is unlimited, but we tend to not think we think it's a zero-sum game in our culture. However, it's really based on ideas, and ideas are abundant, and many of them aren't that great. But if we knew that money was tied to ideas, and if ideas are abundant, and if we come up with one or two ideas, and if that feels right, then take that first step, and then mm-hmm. another step. And then another step and course correct, course correct, course correct. Because ideas are unlimited. They're abundant. I would definitely need to re-listen to this m- several times to properly land into it because there are so many layers to what you're saying now. Kim, your words are just simple. But as I said, there, there is depth and you can really peel one layer after another and, and have insights on each level there. Um, so I, I really appreciate it. But it, that's why I'm not kind of, maybe I'm pausing a bit <laughs> now and then. <laughs> Because I directly go into that processing mode and reflection and what does it mean really. And, and um, yeah, so I, I, I'm really appreciative of what you, you're sharing here. Well, you know, it's funny. I grew up, I grew up, I live in Denver, Colorado, but uh, in the U.S., but I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. And Buffalo straddles the Canadian border in the state of New York. And right there is the vast, beautiful Niagara Falls. And if you think about the Niagara Falls, 
At one time, the power of the Niagara Falls uh, lit up the street uh, lights, so street cars and street lights in Buffalo. That's why Buffalo is called the City of Lights, which ultimately then lit up New York City. Now, the Niagara Falls has no power Hmm. other than the plants, the power plants that line its banks. That's the same with money. Money has no power other than the power we give it through our ideas. So when you think of this Niagara Falls that lit up the streetcars and lights of Buffalo and New York City, it only could do that because of the power plants that lined its banks to turn it into something. That's what we do with money. It has no value other than the value we give it to turn it into something to become of use to the world. How do we do it? How do we do it? Is that what you just said? Yes. Through our ideas and taking action. So, first of all, we we actually have just given the first blueprint of it. And the blueprint is it starts an inside job, not an outside job. Mm -hmm. You got to have self-awareness and consciousness around money and awareness. And that then allows you to get into that vibrational space to ask these questions that if money is looking for me, what ideas do I have for it with my business? How do I turn my ideas into something worthwhile that others would find valuable? And when you start coming up with all these ideas, you write them down on a sheet of paper and then just allow yourself of all of these ideas, which ones seem to have the most traction mm-hmm. and then do something that helps you answer that question, yes or no. And then you have to do little steps along the way to make it happen. So remember, I had all of that debt. Well, how did I get out of that? One, I had the inside job, self-love. Two, how am I going to get out of this debt? Now I'm aware. And so I had my little spreadsheet, how much can I afford? And you know, with my first job that paid me hardly anything, but I loved it. And that first job, because I loved it, allowed me to move up in that organization and then it became something. And with each pay increase, I would pay more off on that school loan debt. And I also put money into, you know, not a lot in the beginning, uh, into a savings account from it with a credit union that happened automatically out of my paycheck. So I couldn't touch it. So I had a little safety net if something happened with my car uh, that needed repair or something. And I just slowly, methodically kept adding to that debt amount that I paid off to, and then you get motivated. Then you get excited because you start to see it going down quicker and quicker. And then it's like really exciting. And then you are proactive around it because you see the difference, whether it's credit card debt, a school loan debt, you mortgage, you name it, whatever that is, you end up getting motivated by tracking it and seeing the difference as a result of staying focused on it. Can we pause on this moment of tracking the financial situation, Kim? I know it from my own experiences and, and people whom I've talked to, uh, when it's going difficult. Like, And for example, if we think about the entrepreneurs, you start something, you probably are not profitable from day one. So actually to support yourself, uh, the cost of, like, cover the cost of living, uh, you probably dip your toes or fingers into that pot of uh, life savings. So that one is going down. You maybe even pump more money into your business to get it off the ground. So it's going down and you don't like it. <laughs> and it's so easy to start avoiding that. It's it's a bit what you mentioned about the first miracle that you actually opened that envelope to see that the number went down, right? That moment of like, how can we create those miracle moments for ourselves in the tougher times when we know that 
What we'll see there, we probably will not like. How do we not hide under the rock and and make the situation worse with that? You know, I think that a lot of us have great ideas on business, but yet it may not be an idea worthy of carrying you through life. Mm. And so that's why it's important to have unlimited ideas, have a lot of them and not be a dreamer as much as a practical business person that lays it out on paper. Because once you lay it out on paper or you have a business plan, it's hard to like be a dreamer when you're looking at, you know, the SWOT analysis, you know, what are the strengths? What are what are the opportunity? Yeah. Okay. Weaknesses and threats. I think there's a better way to say SWAT nowadays. I think someone's changed that into a more uh, uplifting. <laughs> yeah, more uplifting. But I, I think that to so for me, when I started um in so I was with a national dispute resolution firm firm right out of law school. And they moved me to Salt Lake City, Utah to open an office. And I became a spokesperson on alternative dispute resolution. That's my background, instead of actually uh, doing settlement conferences or mediations. So I moved up in the organization, but I stopped doing what I loved. And so that's when I shifted gears. And by 30, I went into finance. I, I got into finance by a quiz. Okay. Who, who doesn't know someone in HR somewhere that has those assessments that tells you where you're good at? So again, this gets back to making sure that you're in an industry or an area that is in alignment with your genius. Because if you're trying to do something outside of your genius, it's you could do all, all good things, but it's still a slog. So uh, finance, personal finance came up as something that I would be good at. So that's how I ended up in this business. Um, I created my firm, Wealth Legacy Institute, 16 years ago when I recognized that, wow, this crazy industry, I need to turn it around the other way where clients are first, not last. That's a whole nother story. But when I created Wealth Legacy Institute, I actually took a loan from my, from my um, life insurance policy cash value. Now, to the listeners here, do not, not, not take a loan out of your 401k in the United States or retirement plan somewhere else. That's because you pay it back with after-tax dollars. And then later in retirement, you've just been double taxed. So even though you think it's your money, and you got a good rate on it, that's the, one of the last places to go uh, to start a business. So glad we got that set aside. But this was the cash value out of my life insurance policy to do it. And I was determined. And I actually paid that cash value back to keep that policy still in force later. Mm-hmm. So even though you take money, you have to have the intention that you're putting it back. And then I had one other transition point And Believe it or not, it was from my father passed away, and there was this small little life insurance policy that he had for each of the three daughters, and that was $10,000. And that's what supported this other transition when I wanted to grow. So it's like these unexpected places where money found me to do the work that was for the betterment, the greater good of the clients, and better service to those clients. So it always has to be beyond yourself in a bigger vision for also money to find you. But there's another piece to that. And you hit on it, and I, I didn't jump on it right away, uh, but, it, but there are two laws of money. And the first law of money is the human-made laws. Hmm. And that's what we started to talk about in terms of, of what I do every day, wealth management. That's the human-made laws of money. That's the cash value and the life insurance. That's the 
setting aside in the credit union. That's the having the money to start the business to direct it uh, towards something. And then once you have money to start learning about money in a way that it could grow for you on your behalf through investing. The second laws of money are natural money laws. And as women, from a sweeping generalization, we tend to not really like the human-made money laws. The languaging is, to be candid, is not our languaging. It's more male languaging. You know, who cares about GDP or the Federal Reserve or inflation and gross domestic product? I mean, none of that gets us very excited. It was created by men for men. We didn't even have access at that time when money was created. And depending on where you are, I mean, in the United States, we didn't have access until very recent, like in the 70s. Prior to that, women had to get permission from their husband, whether it be a credit card or even taking a job. So we're relatively new to the, as women to the money conversation. But the natural money laws, we vibe to quite easily. And it's, it's already inside of us. And the very first one is giving and receiving. And you had okay. mentioned you have to be able to receive. And we talked about that when it came to love, but it's also for money. So the natural money laws tie in to the human-made money laws, but the first is giving and receiving. The other is cause and effect, just mm-hmm. like nature. Money ebbs and flows. And when it ebbs, our job is to make sure that we don't lose sight of our, of our focus mm-hmm. and work on ourselves and build up our skills. When it flows, we love it, but to stay true to the purpose of what you're, you're about and to mm-hmm. save. So understand that not to get upset or worried in the ebb and flow of money because money is cyclical. So cause and effect. Giving and receiving cause and effect, intention and desire. Tell me more about that. That gets back to affirmations and different things to keep you in that vibrational vortex or Velcro that you said um, and what those intentions are and the desire to, to follow through with it. And stay the course instead of, you know, give, 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 and then give up. So you have to believe in yourself, intention, and desire. Uh, and those have to be in alignment with your gifts. Interesting. It's even, I mean, there are so many natural money laws that uh, even mercy and justice. Mm-hmm. So if you think about all the natural money laws that we inherently are surrounding us, that if we start there, then it's easier for money to find us. Now, we need both, ultimately. We need both, ultimately, in balance, just like male-female, both in balance. So, I, I think that if you understand the nature of money, then it's a little easier to put it into perspective. So, with the two laws of money, uh, one, how do I just separate it out? One is more feminine and one is more masculine. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of take that left brain, right brain, take it just to an easy place to understand it, then it's easier to put in place, if that helps. Mm. So it's really about finding our way to understand money. From our ter- on our terms and yeah, our perspective. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because if you think about goal achievement, financial planning, which is, again, what I do daily, that we lean into. Oh, you mean... You're talking about my aging parents and how do I do both, like raise children and take care of my mom? Wait a second. Um, goals for my children's education? Oh, wait, are we talking about someday retiring and making a difference and doing the stuff that matters to me and really what I love and creating impact in the world? We lean in on that. But when it comes to investing and we think that that's out there or something else, 
when essence we need both. And the way that I could explain that in the nature of what I do, Anna, is if we had a pyramid, let's just start with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We all know, we've heard that forever and ever and ever, but the bottom is, you know, food, clothing, shelter, and the top is self-actualization. Now let's change it to what I do. So if these four levels in this Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but in the nature of my work, we call it the uh, financial planning pyramid. The bottom is people come to us to manage their money. So that's managing money is the bottom. The next is goal achievement. We have to tie the investing money to goal achievement. And the way we do that is through financial planning. Because otherwise, investing without a plan is like archery without a bullseye. So when the markets ebb and flow, if we don't have a target, we tend to think that we don't like that. And then we do bad things with our money. But if we knew, how did that impact me specifically? Oh, I'm really not hurt by that. It feels terrible when I look at my statement, but I'm still on track for my goals. Okay, I get this. I know what that means to me. Literally, I know what that, let's hypothetically say during the Great Recession, portfolios down minus 32%. When you tie it back to the plan, instead of a 5,000 a month lifestyle, it's 4,900 a month lifestyle. Oh, in the depth of capitulation and despair, it's only $100 difference a month in my lifestyle just today. And yet I have all these other years before I'm stepping off. To see how easy it is to stay the course when you know how it impacts you specifically. So the third on that, if in fact we tie investing to a financial plan, the third on that, all of a sudden you have lifestyle achievement. You have achievement of your goals. You have lifestyle. And when you know what the track to run on, all of a sudden this frenetic nature of money, Anna, goes down here as a foundation instead of all of this chaos around you. So we've just put money as a foundation. Mm-hmm. To allow you for, then what happens when you don't have this? <sighs> yeah, it's a relief. You can breathe. And you get the headspace as well. And you have There's peace of mind. Else. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you have purpose and perspective. And when you can breathe and have peace of mind, all of a sudden that pinnacle is impact. Mm. All of a sudden, it could be impact, it could be legacy, it could be fulfillment. Whatever word resonates with you. For me, I love the word impact. Think about how people save and 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 save to finally live, 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 like live when they step off. And so that's what I do. And that's why I understand the laws of money because I could get people all day long to that place where they can breathe so that they can do, perhaps maybe they've never done it, their working life, their genius. I hope that the listeners are doing their genius right now and not waiting until they retire. But for earlier, older generations, they might not, they may not have had the privilege or understanding to recognize or the opportunity in terms of entrepreneurship to recognize or have access to that choice back then. So if you think of the pyramid today as an entrepreneur, what is it that you need to do? What part of that base? And the secret door that, that opens up to the natural money laws and the human-made laws is doing what you love. But how do you do what you love and make a profit at it? How do you do what you love and make a living or pay your bills? Sometimes you have to do side jobs and side hustles and different things while you focus and get your business up to a place that is self-sustainable. This is something I actually wanted to ask you about. I have observed many successful people and I see 
in a way, okay, now I'm formulating for the first time ever, <laughs> trying to formulate this thought. I have observed quite a lot of entrepreneurs who went into it, into their business, creating something and building something for the money. Mm-hmm. They were desperate for it and hungry for it. And then it grew into fulfillment and legacy and impact. So I would say that was the journey following or building your pyramid, as you described, from bottom up, right? And then there are people who go into it for the sake of impact directly. And I wonder, do you observe which way, or let's say that like that, I see more people struggling when they start with the impact without having the foundation of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. Do you know examples of where it worked? And if yes, then what made it work? No. Okay. So we do. I actually don't because generally in the nature of my work, I see them when they've already, you know, slogged away to have something to come to our firm for. So I think starting with impact, because remember, you have to start with a business plan and the human-made laws of money. Now, natural laws of money could be impact. But then you have to tie it to what's the business plan and is it sustainable? Mm. You cannot have a dream without a reality attached to the dream of purpose. Mm. And so the money laws and for money to find you, you may be magnetic to money, but you also have to be practical about it with the human-made money laws. And the human-made money laws are knowing your balance sheet and your P&L, your profit and loss statement. And you can't just close your eyes and go, I know that money will find me. It will find me. I just know it. And it may. Mm. It may. It's not that it won't, but you need to be able to have the, the strength to pull them both together in a meaningful way. It's like a second grader when you ask, you know, I, I'll go into schools every once in a while and it's like, what's money? And the second grader said, it's magic sparkle sprinkle dust. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes as adults, we may think that true. that's true and it's not. Money wants to find you. But you also have to be practical about it as well through your ideas and then step-by-step course correct. And that gets back to the course correction, step-by-step course correction Mm -hmm. to guide you to the right. This idea didn't work. This idea seems to have some leverage and I'm starting to get income from it. How do you explain money to the second graders? (laughs) That's a great question. I tend to be left brain a little bit when I do that. Oh, it's a store of value. And then I have to explain it. And I usually talk about the paper piece of it because I have money from all over the world and they could see money from the UK and go, that means nothing to me. Mm-hmm. And then they start to understand that it's only the value from where you are. So that kind of starts to think, well, you know, hmm, that's just a beautiful piece of paper with the queen. Okay. But then the question, do they get to think, oh, but I valued this $1 bill like a lot. I can buy a car with it. And then they go into the car dealer and like, this is so valuable. So, but the, you know, I have a paper money that looks very real. It says play money on it. And, um, I love to give that out to adults because when they see it, they're like, oh, you shouldn't have. And they go, don't worry, it's play money. And then they're like, oh, like bummed. You know what I mean? It's like, you, as a matter of fact, I just sent it to one of my girlfriends and I said, I couldn't resist. And I put two of them in a birthday card for her. And I just said, you deserve it. But remember, it's play money. <laughs> so the point of that is, I think we always have to bring it back and, and bring it back to values. Because remember, money has no value other than the value we give it. And so from a, pre- from a parenting standpoint, 
there are things to teach children at different ages as it relates to how to be responsible with money, but it really ties to values. When you have young children, you're talking to them about with that piggy bank that, or with that money that they get from grandma is that do we give 10 or 20% of that away to a nonprofit do or a religious institution or whatever the values are of the family and for savings are really important to demonstrate that and to show it and to have conversations around a family mission statement, just like a business. We had a family mission statement with our children, kind of rules of behavior, sort of, and we framed it and that we had them help, you know, create it. Do not beat up your sibling, you know, uh, you know, um, save please and thank you, things like that. And when they had behavior that was different from that, we would take them into their bedroom and show them this little framed thing and say, here's where this says this. Was that part of our family value? And so you just reinforce that. And that's what we do with money in terms of having money conversations as well at the Mm -hmm. table that's age appropriate. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I don't know how this, I think in the US it's much more normal to speak about money to talk about money uh here, here in the nordics it's a bit of <laughs> that, a dirty that rugged individualism uh in the united states <laughs> yeah there are some good parts of it right? <laughs> <laughs> but as i said here in the nordics it's a bit of a dirty talk and how do you break through that how do you normalize those conversations that's really important that you mentioned that because in the very beginning we talked about mindset and self-awareness and self-love but we didn't talk about about limiting beliefs and how do you turn these limiting beliefs into enhancing beliefs and particularly what you've just described we have money we have receptors all over our bodies that help us in terms of our health and give give us signals as to whether we need whether we need more water or other things. We also similarly have money receptors, mm-hmm. and it's Where visceral. <laughs> and it's visceral. So, I mentioned my son earlier, who's who's twenty two. He will see a Lamborghini vehicle, and his first thought around that is, "Wow, that's success." Mm-hmm beauty, art. I see that. That is such an ugly car. And who would pay that much to get for transportation? Now, those are beliefs. So, And those are receptors. His receptor is success. My receptor is waste of money. So, how do we? Un- that's a good example of a receptor working just like that by watching a vehicle drive by. It could be the same for uh, someone on the street that's asking for money. Do you cross the street to avoid them? Do you say something in your head about them? Those are all money receptors and we all have them. Mm-hmm. So if you can, and, and, you know, it's kind of dirty talking about money. That's a receptor. How do you unpack that and go, is that culture? Is that my parents? Is it cultural? So and you labeled it as a culture. Mm-hmm. So is it appropriate or is it something that's just pa- been passed down through generations? And is it what you mm-hmm. want? And I think that money and how we show up on money and our money receptors oftentimes could be your great-great-grandfather that has nothing to do with who you are today. And so if you can unpack those beliefs that hold you back around money, like money is dirty or the conversation around money is inappropriate, those are things to unpack. Is that holding me? Is that true? Money, why is it dirty? Where did that come from? Is it, you know, and how would you answer that? Tell me where that, you know, fill me in on more. 
Well, the thing is that I have two parts of the culture. I'm Ukrainian originally, and then I have been living abroad in the Nordics for last 13 years. So in Ukraine, we didn't talk about money because it was not, we didn't have much in my family. So that was more that thing. It's just like, it's not that much of it around. So why would we talk about it? So that was more the mindset in which I grew up in my family. And then usually if the money came up as a topic, then it was about the struggle or the lack thereof, right? Or of the money uh, that, okay, we cannot afford this or like we shouldn't waste the money or stuff like that. And then when I moved to the Nordics, I feel like here it's one of those things you don't discuss gen- generally. Like, you know, when, when people try to help uh, newcomers to integrate, they say like, you never talk about politics, or, like which party the people will vote for, about their religious beliefs and about their salaries. Those are three like taboo topics. So here it's really about, and in the Nordics, it's more about not sticking out. So there is this huge thing of, like, in Sweden, there is this Medel Svensson. So it's like average Svensson, which is the most common last name. So you need to be average. You, you shouldn't stick out. In the Denmark, there is Jantelagen, which is like also kind of being equal to the others. So it's bragging if you, for example, say how amazing your kid did at a performance lately and like those kind of things. So here it's a lot about this not sticking out. Iceland is a bit different because here it's a really interesting mix of Scandinavian countries and the US. The capitalism has affected a lot for good and for bad, like uh, with the, yeah, with the culture. So here it's a bit of a different mix, but I, I don't feel integrated enough to really identify with the local uh, stories about money. I've been, I noticed that you've been taking notes. So I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts. I just wrote struggle and not sticking Mm -hmm. out um, because those are values. And in Ukraine, you know, we're a country, there, there's a reason that you're not talking about it because there's, I mean, do you really have as much hope or opportunity? Mm-hmm. And so, so the values of that country kind of were squashed a little bit because of, of there's probably not a lot of entrepreneurship earlier. There wasn't when I was growing up. No. Versus what you're seeing more around the world in terms of opportunity uh, in entrepreneurship. So think of how times have changed. And I remember reading that each generation is smarter than the generation before it. And I remember when I was reading, I'm like, that is so true. I am so much smarter than my mom. (laughs) And then I went, you know, with a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Wow. And I already knew they were smarter than me, just how your children show up around you, because they take on the energy of that generation is part of who they become. So the stories of our ancestry or our culture or our country was two generations ago, then that may have been a true story for them. But today, for Anna, who Anna wants to be, and the listeners, we would be curious for you to share with us kind of culturally what are some of those norms that are holding you back from being successful and increasing that self-worth to increase that net worth and to really unpack that. Because culturally, is that still who you want? Is that, you know, are you an entrepreneur now? So as an entrepreneur, is that helping you or holding you back? Mm-hmm. And those are receptors that have gone through generations. I actually want to dive a bit deeper into the entrepreneurs and the money. Yeah. Because in the recent several years, it has become so much about raising capital for the startups. And um, I feel like there are a lot of self-worth 
is in that, in those, like, is related to those numbers. How much money have you raised? Not how much value you have created, how many jobs you have created for the market mm. or anything like this, but more how much money have you raised? And I feel like people forgot the, about the beauty of bootstrapping or the value of bootstrapping <laughs> or using your own money to finance and actually building the sustainable business model as soon as possible and um, working on that track. And just two weeks ago, I was in Sweden for work and, and uh, event of founders and one of the uh, part there was the female founders summit and there was the statistics of only one percent of uh, venture capital goes to female founders Mm -hmm. and everyone is talking about that statistic about how how problematic that is and i see where it comes from but i tried to shift the conversation of do we need to measure it by that Maybe women, of course, but women might not have confidence or the belief that they are getting the money. They might seek that money but not get it because of the bias or whatever it is from the people who actually give out the money. But maybe they're also not seeking that money because they're building businesses different way, more with the natural mm-hmm. loss of, mm-hmm. of money or following mm-hmm. that. So what are your thoughts on that? When, when an entrepreneur is catching themselves on this idea of like, I define my self-worth by the numbers of how much I managed to raise, what can they do both mentally or like my, with the mindset and practically to shift that story? That's a big, big topic um, as it relates to how women show up around money and private equity and venture capital. Um, I'm going to take it down just a little bit because what I believe or what I've observed is that a lot of people have this great idea, like we started, and then build this course, uh, you know, some type of course that is who they are and want to get it out to the world because they know it will make a difference. But what they haven't done is created demand. And if you were to look at data in terms of a successful business, 80% is in the demand, 20% is in the enrollment. So you have this masterclass, what, you know, and you're, and, and you want to get paid to, for someone to enroll into your program of some sort. If that's, if you're a coach or someone like that, uh, versus a product, well, products there too. But I think that as women, we tend to focus perhaps not on the right stuff first mm-hmm. for a successful business to occur. So demand is how big is your following? Who's your audience? How do you create demand in that gr- large group of people mm-hmm. to want to be a part of what you are offering? And the more you focus on the demand side and kind of I, I, back in the day, you know, again, surrounding men, but men would say, how do you get demand? Well, you walk a horse and you, and you make the horse thirsty and you feed it oats. And the more the horse gets walked and eats oats, the thirstier they'll get to want, you know, whatever you're delivering. Mm. And, it's, and it's just like, huh, okay. You feed it oats and you walk the horse so it gets thirsty, so it wants your water. I don't know. but. So 80% demand, 20% enrollment, and we focus on enrollment first instead of demand, and that's where most of it is. So it's that 80-20 rule that works in all kinds of different areas, usually is what is the disconnect and the startup of that business. Okay, interesting. And what do you say about that women, from my observation, usually focus on the impact first without building this, the foundation and those will focus on those first three levels of the pyramid as you discussed it. Uh, if that's the case and uh, someone is so driven by the impact, how can we bring them down 
to the foundation of the pyramid, their focus, not bring them down is like talk them yeah. down anywhere, anything, but more, yeah. how can we get their focus on the foundations so that they, they build something healthy and sustainable for themselves and the world? Well, you know, we don't like to, I personally don't like to think of it this way, but it, it's what are the pain points to get demand? It's mm-hmm. kind of like bringing the person or user into the process of what are their pain points to actually have you solve? And I know for me, it's hard. Like I'd rather talk about hope and opportunity than pain island, but it's pain island because we're more likely to be triggered by pain than we are pleasure. And so that's why pain island works. What are those pain points that you're talking about that you need to address and walk them through to the pleasure island, so to speak? And you said that you don't like that uh, that talk about the pain points. Yeah, I'm all about abundance and hope and opportunity and, you know, the positive side that makes, that for me, excites me and gives me endorphins and allows it to, to happen. But that doesn't mean that I don't go to pain island to help people get to that pyramid of planning because I can't wait to get them to impact, but they may have to go through pain island on the spouses aren't communicating with each other. They have different goals and objectives. And then we heard from Nova, who is uh, yes. with him today. For that. She's also excited about the money talk. Sorry about that. No worries. Okay. Yes, Nova, my daughter's dog, is very interested in money <laughs> and pleasure. <laughs> So she's more like, let's talk more pleasure, right? <laughs> she's she all about, I see someone outside and it's not pain. I, I want pleasure. Oh, thank you. So how do we, how do we get people more to that? So, okay. The, the pain, pain points and really finding the drive into that to build momentum and, and start building the, the early or the foundation or the lower parts of the f- pyramid to get to the sustainable way of creating impact. And that gets back to the human money laws in terms of the balance, you know, kind of the SWAT that we talked Mm -hmm. about earlier. And once you do the SWAT, you'll know what those pain points are to be able to then focus on those to get interest and excitement around whatever it is that you're selling or achieving or giving or servicing. Kim, we're approaching an hour. So I would like to just take some time to, to see, to ask you, what have we not discussed so far that you think is very important in this conversation that needs to be voiced? You know, I, I think I'll just say one more thing, and that is that there, there truly is no amount of money that can create an extraordinary life. So it's really up to us. And I think it really, this is full circle, Anna, of what, how we started this whole conversation in sharing my story and your story as it relates to self-worth. That's something to sit with. What actually creates that abundance in life? And do I anyhow put a number on it when it goes, comes to, to money? What's your answer to that? How, how do you address it for yourself in your life, Kim? In terms of what creates abundance? Yeah. Oh, how, the really deeper question is how do you find joy and, and what lights you up? Money lights me up, but I, but I know where it goes. So for me, abundance and joy and love, that higher vibrational peace is staying in alignment with things that give you joy. When you, when you have ideas, does that make you feel good or does it make you feel, I don't want to do that kind of job or, 
You know, when you're, when you're kind of coming up with these ideas, always pick the one that gives you most joy. And that helps you stay in alignment with ultimately abundance. And that's an easy lever on understanding with your ideas and what you're doing. Does it give you joy? Do you light up? And if you do, that tells you you're in that vibrational right track to pick that choice for whatever that idea is for your solopreneur or otherwise. Any practical tip that you would like to give to the genius leaders listening, whether it's checking out some of your resource and kind of do something with it, um, any exercise to... Yeah, you know, I would really start out unpacking limiting beliefs, the story you tell yourself around money. Mm. Journal, journal it. That's really the starting point is what is the story that you're telling yourself about money? Mm. Uh, and is it true? Because that, that is the start. Because then when you unpack that, then come up with ideas that are true, that are more in alignment with empowering beliefs around money. So you got to get, unpack those, what's the story, unpack it, and then fill it in with empowering beliefs around money and use those empowering beliefs around money to then do conscious steps, like set up a, set up a savings account, set up an automatic now with digital banking and all kinds of other things, you could easily set up with a small amount of money going into this side account. And you could call that account joy or abundance and and then increase that amount as as you go along. And the momentum, or if it's debt reduction, the opposite of, you know, put money towards that so that you get the momentum and the excitement of either seeing it go up in your savings or reducing the debt so that you feel less burdened. But it all starts with that journaling or having conversation, asking questions to yourself as to what that is. So, you know, your starting point so that money can find you. I love that. I want to uh, just add to uh, the work with limiting beliefs, a quick note that I usually ask my clients to also pay attention to. Uh, when you write out a lot of these limiting beliefs, it, it is a bit of a heavy uh, work to go through to notice them all sometimes. And it might feel somehow depressing or some people start beating themselves up like oh, how stupid of me and and they make it mean something negative about themselves and if that happens so it's not a must step but if that happens genius leaders i encourage you to think about what was the function of this belief for me when has it served me and what or in which way just to become a bit kinder to yourself <laughs> in this process of like okay this came and maybe it, it was not serving you but your parents in mm -hmm. their conditions and mm -hmm. you just got it kind of by default right so just look at that uh, function and what it has served um what kind of value it created for you or some of your pr previous generations as we discussed just to take out the judgment to yourself in that process and then it becomes easier to let it go and like okay it has served me i'm grateful For that or it hasn't served me but i'm grateful it served for my parents and then start rewriting the limiting towards empowering beliefs that's really important anna because and thank you for mentioning that because whatever that limiting belief was served you for what that purpose was for what you needed to learn so recognize that don't beat yourself up at all you are exactly where you need to be and all the choices that you made previously is to get you to where you are today so you're exactly where you need to be for the lesson that's right now for you to learn. And that's probably why you're listening to this podcast. Definitely. Kim, thank you so much for sharing and um, 
really opening up my eyes to many things that I'll need to sit and reflect and journal upon <laughs> on those different layers of the wisdoms, especially the ones that you dropped in the beginning. They, mm. they were so deep, as I mentioned. And uh, really a lot of things that might sound complicated, but actually when you sit with them, they're not. If you just really open up yourself to like, yeah, there are different ways of, of looking at the things. Remember, mine was a snap. Yeah. It can be as quick as a snap. Definitely. And we can create those situations for ourselves. So genius leaders, thank you for being part of this community. As always, I want to remind you that I see you. I love you. I feel you. And I do believe that you can build that impactful life for yourself that is standing on the strong foundation of your own freedom and your own health and wealth. And that comes from the self-worth and then really building on that. Kim, thank you so much again. And um, I hope that people will be curious about what you do and reach out to you because I am sure that um, there are there are a lot of things that you can help with on that journey. Thank you. Uh, for any of your listeners, go to Kim Curtis Prosperity on Instagram. Yeah, I will put that in the notes. So genius leaders, just click that one link and <laughs> whips and you'll be there. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Kim. Genius Leaders, take care and talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.